Well, we're in a series of sermons in the book of Genesis, and if you're new to our congregation, or perhaps as some, some of you I talked to uh, before the service, you've missed the last few weeks, um, we jumped into this series in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, which really is the story of God and the story of humanity, back in September, and we began with this first phase of looking at creation and growth. And the green mountain behind me symbolizes that, is that God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the green hills. He creates the blue waters. He creates animals. He creates humanity. And then a couple of weeks ago, we made the, the shift, the second phase, really a phase of around alienation and sin and God's goodness and his kindness. And we symbolize that with yellow. And for, I think for some of us, we see yellow or understand yellow as happiness and goodness. But also it can mean sort of this desert experience, this isolation. So we're going to look again, um, if you were here last week, we did the same thing, but a different text is looking at the isolation of humanity, but also God's goodness and his kindness. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to look at the famous story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and we're going to start with verse 2. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the slide behind me, or if you have an iPhone or Android or whatever you have, you can follow along with Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Let me pray before we start. Father God, I give this sermon to you, and as for your anointing upon it, and God, for us to come together as a community to learn from you, to hear from you, and God, some of us are here desperate to hear a word from you, to hear your voice. And I pray, God, that you would speak clearly. I, would, I pray that uh, anything in my life that, um, that would cause hindrance to that would be removed, and God, that you'd have this freedom and your spirit would work in, in the lives of this congregation. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. There's also an insert in the program that has these verses on here as well. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. While Cain cultivated the ground, while it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of the crops of his crops as a gift to the Lord, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. You may want to underline that phrase, the, first, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. I'm going to come, to the, come back to that later. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Skipping down to verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now the rest of chapter 4, we read about Cain being a hopeless wanderer. That for the rest of his days is that he's going to be this wanderer. So if we were to say the legacy of Abel was one of, of being obedient to God, but also of generosity. He, gets, he gives the best portions of his offering to God. And if we were to say what's the legacy or what is Cain known for is that he's a murderer, but also he is a hopeless wanderer. He's isolated. He's alienated from God and from others. Now let's jump over to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, verses 15 through 24. This is a genealogy, kind of like a family tree. And I know for many of you, this was your devotional this morning as you came to church. It's supposed to be a joke. It didn't really work, so I'll just keep moving. I, th- I thought it was funny. So maybe as you're turning into it, you'll see it and it'll be funny. All right, verse 15. When Mahalalel 
was 65 years old, he became the father of Jared. After the birth of Jared, Mahalalel lived another 830 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Mahalalel lived 895 years and then he died. I was talking to my daughter Allison about this passage and she's like, Dad, how did they live so long? And I, I think, you know, I really don't know, but maybe they had the really real organic food. They had clean water. And I was talking to Stan Drugsma, maybe they were vegetarians or something, but they lived a long time. But my question for me is, when you live that long, I mean, for them back then, when was the age of retirement? You know, like 795 years old? You know, when did, you get, when did they get the, the mail from the, the retirement communities or, or um, assisted living, things like that? Anyways, when, when Jared was 162 years old, spring chicken, he became the father of Enoch. And after the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. And after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. You can underline that phrase. Lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close, close fellowship with God. Then one day, he disappeared because God took him. And if you read the rest of Genesis, it just moves on to the next uh, details. It's like, God just took him, disappeared. Like, it was just something that happened, you know? I mean, I'd be like, wow, God, he, he disappeared. God took him right off the earth. Very interesting, but there's nothing on that, really. But anyways, what I want to point out is that when we read about these different men, whether it's Mahalalel or Jared or these other characters, you know, it's just kind of basic facts. But something jumps off the page besides that these guys lived a long time, and it's simply this, is that Enoch was known as a man who walked closely with God. What a legacy. What an epitaph. You think about a tombstone, and for Enoch, his epitaph reads this, is that he walked in close fellowship with God. I came across some really funny, memorable epitaphs, and there's a lot of them. And here's an example of one right here that we have. We can show this. This guy, he loved bacon. And then the small print, and his wife and kids too. <laughs> what a legacy. He loved bacon. That's probably what would kill them too. Okay, and the next slide, this one here, William Rain. It has the years on here. It says, I told you I was sick. I just love that. There's so, many, there's so many of them. I just, I just picked a couple of them. But the, the thing about Enoch is, is that on his tombstone, what he's known for is that he walked closely with God. And I love that. Because the question for you and I to think about is, what kind of legacy do I want to live behind? I mean, do, do I want to be like a person like Cain, who's this sort of, sort of hopeless wanderer? You know, his name connotates so much. For, for example, I don't know by research, but I highly doubt Cain's name is like one of the top ten popular baby names for each new year. I doubt Cain ever made the list. Um, but he comes to Abel, and we see Abel as this generous uh, man who walked with God. And we see Enoch in chapter 5 as a man who walked with God in close fellowship. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? And maybe you're in your 20s and 30s, and you're not even thinking about that. You should be. And that's the teaching of chapter 4 and chapter 5, is, is what do you want to be known for? And in your notes, I put the phrase, is how to leave a lasting legacy. How do you and I do that? If you're taking notes this morning, the first one is simply love God. Love God. 
It sounds quite simple when we say love God. It's like, okay, check, check that off next. And it's part of our mission statement, uh, as Kay mentioned, to go love, live. And that love means to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Mark 12, 30. But I want to kind of climb into that phrase a little bit more. What does it really mean to, to love God? I mean, do we love God like we love bacon? Do we love God like we love the Vikings and the Packers? We throw that word love around in, in American language so, so easily. But what does it really mean to, to love God? Popular author and researcher Brene Brown recently talked about coming back to church after years away. And she talked about the moment that this whole Jesus thing clicked, as she said. She said this, People would want love to be unicorns and rainbows, but then God sends Jesus and people say, Oh my goodness, love is hard. Love is sacrifice, love is trouble. Love is dealing with rebellion. And then she says this, As Leonard Cohen sings, Love is not a victory march, it's a broken hallelujah. Love isn't just hearts and bows. It's not. Love, when we say love God, it isn't just hearts and bows. Love, to really break it down, really begins with trust. Because as we know, any kind of relationship, for love to occur, you need to have trust as the baseline. You need to have trust as the baseline. And I think the challenge for us is, is to trust God in the midst of the struggles of our lives. In the midst of, of times in our life when we are in fear or we're afraid. We're not quite sure what's around the next corner. And perhaps our, our trust in God erodes a bit. I have a friend right now who's lost two, lost two loved ones in the last calendar year, and his trust in God has really dissipated. And he's not quite sure if he really trusts God anymore after, two, after uh, uh, losing two loved ones, two people really close to him. And his, his trust in God and his love for God is beginning to erode. And I had a conversation with him recently. I said, I said listen, it's in the crucible moments. It's in these kind of moments, that, in these challenges, that you can demonstrate your trust in God. Because if you do that, God will show up in profound ways. God will shape you and mold you. It's easy to trust God and to love God when everything is going really well. But when we have the crucible moments of life, when life squeezes us, what comes out of us? It's like tea. You put tea in hot water. What kind of flavors, what kind of colors come out of you? Hopefully it's a trust in God. To trust God with your life. Where God ch changes our pain and he turns it into purpose. That's what it looks like to love God, is to trust him in the midst of, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. And as I said to my friend, I said, where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. And it's not only trust. To love God is definitely trust, but also with that trust is to surrender, to take the next step. Where you surrender your life to God. And that's what it means for Mark 12, 30, to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, is to surrender your life, the totality of your life to God, and say, here I am. I give everything to you. It's what Paul echoes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, he writes, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let your life be a living and holy sacrifice. And the, sort of the word picture that Paul has is where a person would lay their life down like you'd lay down a, perhaps a sheep or a ram or a goat on an altar where you'd surrender your life on the altar of God. 
the kind that he'll find acceptable. This is, the truly, this is truly the way to worship him. And I would say this is truly the way to live life. Don't copy the behavior and customs of, the, of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Because when you and I trust God, when we surrender our lives to God, then he begins to work in us. Because to leave a lasting legacy, you can try all you can. At some point, at some point you're going to fail. If you want to leave a lasting legacy, it's to trust and then surrender your life to God so then he can, through you, leave a legacy that endures. So that you're known for something that stands out. Well, the Spirit of God, as you surrender, works inside of you to change your character, to turn you into the kind of person who tells the truth. Be the kind of person who apologizes without any kind of justification. If you hear apologies these days from politicians or celebrities or athletes, they, they kind of apologize. It's a yes, but apology. I think we just need to apologize. I think we need to apologize more to our kids, to our spouses, to our coworkers. And some of us see that as a sign of weakness. I don't. I think it's a sign of, of somebody's, somebody's personality really changing. But as we surrender to God, is that he changes us into people who don't judge or condemn. He changes us into people of grace, especially towards ourselves, forgiving ourselves for some of the things that we made mistakes on. As we surrender, God changes us into people who avoid gossip and slander. He changes us to people who love and pray for our enemies. That's what it looks like to leave a lasting legacy. A legacy that endures. Well, it's not only loving God, but also to leave a lasting legacy means to live a life of generosity. I kind of wrestled on the second point. I had something else all week. And each day as I came back to it, I didn't have peace about it, but I had some really good content. I thought I had a good joke with it. And I really wanted to use it. And then yesterday I spent the afternoon with my daughter Allison. She's a freshman at UMD, and we had a great breakfast, breakfast at Original Pancake House. It's the best place on earth. I know in the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be an OPH there. Anyways, we had a great breakfast together, and then I drove her over to her grandparents, and I was talking to her about this, my sermon, and I, I was bouncing off her the point I had, and, and, and I didn't have peace about it, and she said, yeah, that really doesn't work. You're talking about leaving a lasting legacy. And then I, I, I shared something else I had, and it was this life of generosity. She said, yeah, that's a lot better. Go with that. So this is with affirmation from my daughter Allison. But to live a life of generosity. Because when God forms us and God shapes us into the kind of people that he wants us to be, and we trust him and we surrender to him, is that we become generous people. Because God is a generous God. He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And for you and I in, to live in that way and to leave a lasting legacy is to live a life of generosity. It's to be generous with our time. Everyone is busy these days. Everyone is busy. It seems like over and over the people I talk to is that they have very little margin in their, in their life for any kind of extra time. And I think one of the greatest gifts that you and I can give, one of the best ways that we can be generous is with our time. We cancel our plans to be with perhaps a friend or a loved one. Where we change our schedule to make time for someone. I think it's one of the best ways that we can be generous. 
You also can be generous with your time by mentoring someone. Or maybe it's, it's somebody at work. They're working on a project, and you have expertise and experience in that area. You were never asked to help out, but maybe for you is to be generous with your time to say, you know what, I can share with you some of my expertise in that area. Can I do that? And to give your time. I think as we are generous with our time is that we see the difference that we're making, the lives that we're impacting. And we also can be generous with our money. You don't have to be wealthy to be generous with your money. I think money can be a tool or it can be a drug in our lives. And generosity ensures that money remains a tool. And some of us need to be more generous with our giving here at our church. Some of us need to be more generous with our family and friends, how we gift them. Some of us need to be more generous when a random opportunity comes up. For example, a few weeks ago, I was at a restaurant and I was working on uh, some, something with, our, with church. I can't remember if it was a sermon or what it was, but I was sitting in this booth by myself, had a great meal, and I felt this nudge from God, leave a big tip. Leave a big tip. You know, because on the receipt, they'll tell you, like, you know, here's 10%, 15%, 20%. And I just felt this nudge from God, go beyond that. And a lot of times in my life, I have these nudges from God. And where he invites me into an opportunity. And it really is a matter of obedience. And I could ignore that, but I felt like, this is a step I'm going to take. And it's something I'm learning more and more, is to be more generous with my money. It's a learning area for, for me in my life. So I wrote up my, you know, my credit card receipt and put a big tip on there, and I went back to some of the, my work I was doing, and I was still sitting in the booth, and the waiter came over, and he took the receipt, and he looked at it, and kind of like, wow, that's a big tip. I said, yeah, it is. And he said, thank you. Big smile on his face. The rest of that day, I had this joy inside me. It's being more generous with my money. This past week, I was on downtown Minneapolis, and there is a woman standing in the corner, and a lot of us uh, see people in the corner, they're holding a sign. And I know some of us have certain philosophies around that. I have my own, as I try to help out where, wherever I see a need. And this woman had this cardboard sign that said, single mom of three, need help. And I'm downtown Minneapolis, uh, near the Vikings' new stadium, and I pull up to the corner, and there's a line of cars behind me, and all I had was four bucks on me. I wish I had more cash, but that's all I had. And I gave that to her. And she just looked me right in the eyes, this big smile, thanks. At the same time, I could see this brokenness and this hurt and this woundedness in her life. And for the, this entire week, it's made my week, that I could join God and simply give him four bucks to make an impact on the life of somebody. So for some of us, it means being generous with our time. For some of us, it means being generous with our money. But it's touching the lives of people. Every once in a while, just leave somebody a big tip. When you go to a restaurant, maybe today after church you're going to go to Three Squares or perhaps you're going to go to Grand City. Leave a big tip. Or maybe you're going go to go to Culver's because they don't require tips. Give them a tip anyways. Believe me, they'll take it. Okay? If you give them money, they'll take it. Um, but every once in a while, when someone stands on a corner and is asking for money, take the chance Give it to them. Be generous. Be generous. Every once in a while when you get a letter from some cause, World Vision or International Justice Mission, go ahead and send them a check. Be generous with your money. 
Every once in a while when money, some money comes your way and you weren't expecting it, pass it along to somebody else. Be generous. You know, as a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals. And very rarely in those funerals do I hear very much about a person's achievements in work, in life. What I hear is what they did with their time, what lives they touched, what difference they made in the lives of people. You and I have one life to live. What kind of legacy will we leave behind? I am so thankful to be a pastor of a church, and it's very unique. We have five generations here. It's very unique for any kind of church to have that. And I love with, and I'll say, quote-unquote, and I'm probably going to get a few comments after church, but our older people that are here, the legacy that they're leaving is so admirable. As I've gotten to know a number of these folks and uh, these couples, the kind of people they're known for, known to be, the legacy they're leaving behind, I can't tell you what a difference that is for me and for this church. Is in many ways, they're trailblazing. And for those of us to see their marriages and see how they do life and see how they serve here at church, they're leaving a legacy. They're leaving a legacy. What will your legacy be? On the bottom of your second page on your insert, here's an example of some famous epitaphs. Uh, Ludolf von, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm I'm not a math guy. Kulin. I was talking to Allie about this, and I said, yeah, this guy on his tombstone, he, he was the one that invented pi. And I said, 3.16. She said, no, 3.14. But it's actually 3.14, et cetera, et cetera. Frank, Frank Sinatra, his epitaph reads this, the best is yet to come. Dr. King, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. His legacy was one of freedom for African Americans. And this is my favorite. Here lies Steve Adams, beloved by family, cherished by friends, faithful to God. What else would you want to, for your legacy? To be beloved by your family, to be cherished by friends, and to be faithful to God. What will yours read? Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks for this morning and for the opportunity that we have to hear from you and to think about what kind of legacy do we want to leave behind? God, for some of us in this room here, our lives are going in a different direction and, and if we're to be honest, our legacy would not be very positive. Give us the courage. Give us the ability to turn that around. Help us to think about the future and what we want to leave to other generations, to our kids, our grandkids. And God, as we do, as we think about that, that we would take the steps to love you, to trust you, to surrender our lives to you, and then also to live a life of generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.